0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. Well, for, for over two decades, I've been going to pastor conferences at least once a year. And, and, and I've loved pastor conferences, but after two decades, you kind of get like conferenced out. And at the end of 2019, right before COVID hit, I was talking with my friend, Chris Centracchio, and I was telling him, like, man, I can't handle one more pastor's conference. (laughs) I was just feeling like I wanted something different. You know, like maybe an extended uh, prayer retreat or something. And he mentioned to me uh, the possibility of going on a prayer pilgrimage. And I said, what is that? And he had gone on a few with another campus ministry called InterVarsity, which he was on staff at for, I think, like two decades. And he had been on a couple of those where he just said, you just walk around, you go to another country, and you go to a place where an early church father or, or a saint kind of did ministry, and you just walk around and, and pray. And I said, that sounds fantastic. And so we would planned one in 2020. We were going to go to CC. And, and do a prayer pilgrimage. It, but then COVID happened, and we didn't do anything <laughs> for, a, for, a, for a few years. But a couple of weeks ago, actually two, two weeks ago today, uh, he and I uh, traveled to Spain to walk and pray the Camino, um, and I have some pictures of that to show you. We walked the, the Inglés way, which is the northern tip of the coast of Spain, down to Santiago de Compostela, it's 113 kilometers, or roughly about 70 miles. It was a very wet Camino, although the first day it was sunny. And you know, the first day of any journey, you've you got fresh legs, you're excited to go, the sun was shining, we're at the coast and seeing the ocean, and that just happens to be the flat part, right? So, so we were very excited. Um, the reason we chose this part of Spain is because this is where James, one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples, went After the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples scattered to preach the gospel. Well, James, who was the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, one of Jesus' three closest friends, he went to this part of Spain. Um, Remember when Jesus uh, ascended to heaven after his resurrection, he told all the disciples that they'd be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so for James, he took that to heart and he actually went to the ends of the earth, which was the northern coast of Spain the farthest he could go. In fact, there's a little town right on the coast called Finistere, which means the end of the earth. And so James traveled this part of Spain um, telling the good news of Jesus and preaching throughout Galicia. Eventually what happens is James goes back to Jerusalem where he's martyred in AD 44. And his body was later taken back to the Galician coast of Spain. And his tomb can be found today underneath the Church of St. James, which we ended our Camino at. So all the Camino paths, they end in Santiago de Compostela, where the Church of St. James is. And underneath that church in the basement is the tomb of St. James. Um, now, So while Chris, Chris and I were, were walking and praying the Camino, we had several days to, to walk and, and to pray with our packs on. I had a lot of time to, to think about what it must have been like for James. One of the, my favorite things about doing the Camino is for five days that we were walking it, I didn't have to take care of anybody or anything. I just had to wake up and go to bed at night. <laughs> that was it, and walk and pray and have lots of quiet. And w- during our walk and praying time, I had a lot of time to think about what it must have been like for James. How his experience w- with, with seeing the resurrected Jesus and interacting with Jesus in, in resurrection form had forever Changed him. It, it was a life changing, wonderful, disruptive part of his life. Right? It propelled him into a future that he never, ever would have imagined doing. He was a simple fisherman, and here he is traveling to Spain and, and going throughout the countryside preaching the good news of Jesus. And then I, I also had time to think about other biblical stories of pilgrimage. Because throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture, um, what we find is God's people being referred to as pilgrims and sojourners, as strangers and aliens, right? Um, they're, they're, we're referred to in Scripture, God's people, as nomads and, and travelers geographically and spiritually, right? You see all throughout scripture, we see Moses leading God's people out of Egypt into the promised land. We, we see Abraham, who the father of our faith. God calls him out of this city called Ur and, and he tells him just to go and he doesn't know where he's going. But scripture tells us this, he's looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. He's a pilgrim, right? He's a sojourner. And we even find pilgrims and sojourners in the Christmas narrative, in the Christmas story. Of course, we have the Magi, right, who came from the East to worship Jesus. We have Mary and Joseph, who who journeyed from Nazareth to Bethlehem, where Jesus would be born. That was about an 80-mile journey. Uh, Strangely enough, it's just a a few miles longer than the Camino Inglés that, that I walked last week. And since today is the first Sunday of Advent season... Um, I'm going to turn our attention to the birth of Jesus, and I want to look at the pilgrimage that Mary and Joseph took to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And Luke records this for us in his gospel in, in Luke chapter 2. And so I want to read a few verses from Luke chapter 2 for us. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was an descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for him. And so Luke tells us that Augustus issues this this census. And this census meant that everyone had to travel back to their ancestral hometown and register to be counted. It was not optional. It's not something you could opt out of. Um, there was no exceptions or accommodations made. You were required by, by Roman law to do it. Right? So even though the timing's not good, Mary is great with child, they have to take this journey, this 80-mile journey. And so for Mary and Joseph, this was a, a, a quite an endeavor. Now Luke doesn't provide many details for us about what that 80-mile journey was like because his, he, he understood that his readers would know very much what this journey is like because they're all doing similar things, traveling to their ancestral hometown. They know the region. They know the area. That, that first you have to travel south along the flatlands, along the Jordan River, and then you go west over the hills surrounding Jerusalem and and it's a grueling trip. A lot of uphill and downhill. Any hikers here? It's the uphill and the downhill, right? They wear on you. Um, when Chris and I were, were walking the Camino in, in the In Galicia, we started on the coast, which was very flat and very beautiful, and it was sunny, and we we had fresh legs, and we were pretty excited about our adventure. But when we got to the Galician Mountains, everything changed (laughs) because there were lots of hills, big hills, up and down and up and down. And um, the uphill and downhill walking took its toll on our bodies. I'm 51. He's 53. that's old, just if you don't if you know. <laughs> Too old to be walking that, that distance. Um, and the uphill and downhill took its toll on us. It first started with me on day three. I, my right hip flexor was incredibly sore, it was locking up. Um, I didn't stretch enough for my old body that day. And so what I started to do is favor this side of my body, right? And if you walk, if you hike, you know, oh, don't do that. <laughs> But to avoid the pain, and then um, I tweaked my back on on the end of day three, just at the end. I think we had about a 17-mile trek that day, and I'm carrying my pack, and I'm I'm really happy that it ca- I've only got one part of my body that hurts, and then my I tweaked my back. And so we finished that day, and I was sore all over, but those two places specifically. The next day we had another very long trip. I think it was 16 and a half miles, and... I'm, I'm favoring both, and then my knee <laughs> uh, got really, really sore to the point where it was popping a little bit, and I thought, oh, I might have, like, you know, torn an MCL or, or something. I think it was just runner's knee where you tear all the muscles around your knee because all the downhill, right, takes force, and you've got to pack on, and you're going up, and you're going down. Uh, for Chris, he started out with um, a knee. He, he has a knee that has to get replaced, and he was brave enough to do this. And that hurt right from the get-go. And he, you know, he's trying, trying to go as fast as he can, and that knee was hurting, so he started favoring it. And then, of course, you know, the shin splints on this side of his body were really, really bad. And so we were old people wincing all along the way of the Camino. Without pain medication, I'm not sure <laughs> we would have been able to, to, to finish it, but I'm thankful that, that we were. Um, we walked between 10 and, and 17 miles a day, which is probably very similar to what Mary and Joseph walked per day. They didn't have the gear we had, right? But it was about the same distance. Um, We weren't nine months pregnant (laughs) like Mary was. um, Mary and Joseph also had the added stress of preparing to deliver a baby any day, right? I've had four children, and I remember it being quite stressful, and I didn't even give birth. But I remember it being stressful and planning for it, and and, and, it, and it wasn't to birth the son of God, right? So there's that added stress, like we, you got to get that one right. You can't mess that that one up. And so they have that stress. They're walking just, and as I'm walking, I'm thinking, man, they walked like just as far as we did. And and if we see the pictures, of course, we see Mary on a donkey. But there's no record in Scripture or history that she actually had a donkey. They were very poor. So they could have had a donkey, but she also could have done it by foot. Nine months pregnant. When Mary and Joseph uh, finally get to Bethlehem, they can't find a room. And this is something that after walking Camino, I can't possibly imagine doing a full day of walking up and down and your body aching, and you can't find a place to sleep. Um, When when Chris and I walked the Camino, we we knew where we were going to stay. There were these hostels in Spain. They're called albergues. And we knew we were gonna have a place to stay. Uh, we also traveled in the off season. Uh, November is the rainy season, and it's the wet season, so not a lot of, of pilgrims walked that. I think we met five or six on our journey, and we kind of walked it uh, together. Um, so, but we didn't have to worry about these albergues, these hostels, being filled. And, and for me, the hardest part of Camino was sleeping. <laughs> In the hostels, I, when I travel, I don't sleep good anywhere, even if I have a nice sleeping accommodation. These were not nice <laughs> sleeping <laughs> accommodations. Uh, these were about eight euros a night, which is equivalent to about eight dollars and I don't know fifty cents a night. Um, a, a, a plastic kind of mattress and a, and a plastic-covered pillow. Uh, I'll tell you this: there were smells and sounds that are not conducive to sleep. <laughs> We we walked into one, and as soon as we walked in, we smelled these wet, dirty socks, because the people who were there had hung all their wet, dirty socks on the heaters, and it just brought out all the flavor and aroma of what they'd been walking in all day, and that's wonderful. Let's go to sleep now. Um, One of the albergues that we stayed at, the the bathrooms were, were outside, and it was rainy season, so it rained and I have an old man bladder, so at night I have to wake up and use the facilities and I have to go out in the rain to, to use it. Uh, one, one I had to take a cold shower at, which I haven't done in a very long time. They, they, I'm not the kind of person who likes to rough it. <laughs> um, so it was, it was a, a stretch for me. All that said, our accommodations were luxurious compared to Mary and Joseph. And when they get to Bethlehem, they don't even have a place to stay. We're told that on the night of Jesus' birth that Mary and Joseph had to rent a stable that housed barn animals. Now, if I were Joseph, if I were Mary, um, I'd be agitated by that. I would would have a conversation with God, like, God, we're trying to do what you want us to do. Like, this is your kid. You, You gave this responsibility to us. Can you please at least make it a little bit easier, right? Can you at least, we just did this 80-mile journey, you know. now we have to have this baby and, and there's no place, so we're renting this stable, and now the baby's coming. Could you get a little more involved and help us out here? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you were trying to do something God wanted you to do, and it just felt too hard, it just felt like I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to do what God wants me to do, so why isn't this easier? See, I think one of the things the story of Jesus' birth teaches us is that you and I need to resist the false narrative that God with us means a comfortable, easy journey. Because we have that idea that if God's with me, man, everything's, I got the best parking spot at every place I drive. Like, I find all the sales, everything's easy, I got all my bills paid, right? But here's the fact, sometimes when God draws near, it's disruptive. And I know we don't like to hear that, but it's true. We want to believe that when God is with us, everything goes perfect, that God opens all the right doors and everything is simple, everything is easy. Yet the scriptures, when we read the scriptures, what we find time and again is that's not true. And and maybe that's one of the reasons Scripture refers to God's people as pilgrims and sojourners. Because being a pilgrim, being on pilgrimage, being a sojourner is not easy. It's the exact opposite of comfortable and effortless. Uh, Being a pilgrim and sojourner is difficult, it's demanding, it's disruptive. And yet, it's in these disruptive moments that we find ourselves feeling closest to God right? It's when we're in those moments of our lives when things aren't going well, when things are tough, when things are difficult, that we reach out to God and we find that he is not far from us. When things are going easy and smooth, we go about our way. When things get hard, when our soul's aching, when our body's worn down, when we're sick, when we're dealing with something at work, when we've got family issues, right? That, those are the times that we find God closest to us. And sometimes um, I wonder if the transforming power of the gospel has been diminished because we fail to recognize God's nearness as anything other than comfort and ease. Because we think the opposite. We think when God's with us, everything just is supposed to go great because God's here. The Christmas story shows us something different. That God is right there with Mary and Joseph, like literally right there. And yet all of these difficulties, these challenges, this journey, this pilgrimage. And when we read the story of Jesus coming to be Emmanuel, God with us, nothing about it's comfortable or easy. In fact, when Mary and Joseph were confronted by God's nearness, they experienced more disruption in their lives, not less. God coming near them caused more disruption. So for those of you who aren't following Jesus yet, don't believe it for a minute when a Christian tells you if you just follow Jesus, everything's going to go great for you. Just try Jesus. It's going to make everything better. Don't believe it for a minute. (laughs) Because deciding to follow Jesus will cause more disruption to your life. Because as we get near to God, it becomes more disruptive. But here's the thing. It's a good kind of disruption. It's a holy disruption. It's the kind of disruption that, that makes you more aware of God's presence in your life. Makes you more aware of, of God's presence around you. It's, it's the kind of disruption that, that also invites you into God's good work, right? It, it's a disruption that, that births something in you that forever changes you because it's conceived by the Holy Spirit. When I was walking and praying the Camino with my friend Chris, I tried to imagine at times some of the holy disruption that James experienced after the resurrection. Can you imagine? You see the resurrected Jesus and he's appearing over 40 days several times and, and you're interacting with him. That kind of nearness to God has to disrupt you in a certain way. And for James, he's like, yeah, I'm going to go. And and, and he's not with the other disciples. He just goes to Spain. And it made me think of of some times in my own life when I've been disrupted by the nearness of God. You ever had times when when you're just going about your life and you have this this encounter with God or you experience his his nearness and, and maybe it's not even a... Something you could put your finger on, but there's something like God is near me right now, and he's showing something to me, He's revealing himself to me and and it and it disrupts your life, right? It changes your course. And, and what I came away with from Camino is, I want to be disrupted by the nearness of God more often. I want to be more aware of His presence. I want to recognize, that is with me even when things are difficult, even when things are hard. And I want to embrace my walk with God like a pilgrim and a sojourner would. Of course, another part of me doesn't want that. <laughs> right? Another part of me doesn't want that because another part of me likes comfort and ease and as much as everybody else. But I'm more convinced than ever that being near to God is worth it. Being near to God is worth it. And I, and I want more, that more than a comfortable, easy life even when I don't. You know what I mean by that, right? I want it even when I don't. And so I want to close today uh, by reading a prayer um, from Psalm 39, and then I would like to pray this psalm for us uh, before we take communion together. It's Psalm 39, 12. First I'll read it, and then I'll, then I'll pray for us. Psalm 39, verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to the... Cr- to my cries for help. Don't ignore my tears, for I am your guest, a traveler passing through as my ancestors were before me. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Hear our prayer, O Lord. Listen to our cries for help. Don't ignore our tears, for we're your guests, travelers passing through as our ancestors before us. Lord, I pray for my friends in this room who are on their own pilgrimage, their own journey in life. God, I pray for my friends who are on a hard stretch of road right now. A lot of up and down hills, a lot of achy souls that are tired and weary and worn out and bruised and and damaged and torn. God, I pray that you would meet them today. If they would discover your nearness, your presence. Lord, and it would transform them and shape them as the way pilgrimages do. God, as we endeavor to, to, to walk and follow Christ, Lord, would you give us the strength that we need? Would you give us the awareness of your presence that you're with us even even in the hardship and the difficult times. And may you assure us, God, that that you're with us. Lord, I pray for hope and encouragement for, for all my friends here this morning as we walk our own journey with you. And I pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We're going to end our our time by taking communion together. I'm going to invite the worship band to come up. Let me give you some instructions for for how we're going to receive communion today. We have the table up here, and we have a gluten-free option for for folks who um, want to receive that communion. We're going to come down this aisle when the music's playing and we're singing. We're going to come down this aisle, take the bread and the cup, go back up this aisle, back to your seats, and I'm just going to invite you to hold the bread and the cup because we're going to take that together this morning. And at the end of our time together, when we dismiss everyone, there's going to be a few folks in the back of the room with trays to, to put your cup in. Okay. Um, we're going to prepare our hearts together with a prayer. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to pray a prayer confession together before we come to the table. So let's pray this together out loud. Heavenly Father, We've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Forgive us for what we have done and for what we have not done, for what we have said and what we have not said. We confess that we are more ready to take than to share, more ready to compete than to forgive, more ready to fear than to serve. We do not love one another as we should, nor do we love you as we might cleanse us of our sin, that we may delight in your ways and walk in the light of your presence. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our righteousness. Amen. Jesus invites you to the table of his grace. Come humbly, not because you've earned a place here, but because you need mercy and help. Come because you love God and want to love God more. Come because Jesus first loved us and gave himself for us. Come because you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come because you are hungry for what only he can give. Great is the mystery of our faith. We come to the table as many to share in one body. We come across our differences united by one cup. You alone can make us whole. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Amen. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.org.